0: I wind up connecting with uh, the Cats who have really tried to keep the lineage of um, true classic jazz swing alive on the drum kit, and uh, my next guest is a guy who uh, played with one of my, I never met him personally, but I did uh, a great interview with him, I consider him to be one of the baddest keyboardists, piano players of all time. Um, Frank Strazeri and my guest was out on the West Coast really cooking the groove with a lot of the West Coast originalists, um, along with, you know, cats like Chet Baker and Stan There's Bill Perkins, my guest played with, and he's also done a ton of work with a total Sufi uh, magician, um, another guy I haven't seen live or ever met in person, but I had a great conversation with him from Cleveland, Joe Lovano, and um Anyway, my guest has just been picture perfect and spot on in so many different ways, just trying to keep the music alive, keeping his head down, and knowing when the time is right, it's right. Carmen Castaldi, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show.
1: Thanks, Jake.
0: Hey, um, you know, I wanted to ask you specifically about, you know, we talked on the phone about I ran into this album. Uh, Electric Holy Man, there's Carmen Castaldi on it, now everyone's face is in like gray, so you couldn't see your face at the time, but you were in high school, there's no doubt in my mind that in Cleveland you were also definitely frequenting clubs underage, because there was the peanut gallery, you'd go see music, connect with cats, and you are in the studio at 14 years old, and I just kind of wanted you to talk about how that shaped your point of view for your whole career.
1: Well, okay, so I wasn't 14 in the studio. I was maybe 17, like almost finished with high school. Guys in that band were a little bit older than me. Guitar player actually played with that rock group, the Rockin' Rebels. They had Wild Weekend, Hmm. Leroy Marcus. And they came to Cleveland, and we had a little band, uh, guitar, bass, and drums, and we were playing rock and roll, man. We were listening to like... Cream and Manfred Mann, all kinds of like 60s rock. And so I started playing gigs with those guys. I wasn't really going out to the clubs and checking too much stuff out until I met, right around that time, met Joe Lovano. And he kind of introduced me, actually that guitar player, Leroy, he introduced me to jazz uh, after the gigs, he'd go, check this out, you know. And he'd have, like, R. Blake records, or... I know he had ESP. I remember listening to Miles Davis' ESP. Right, man. right. Wow, you know, what's that, man? I love <laughs> the way this feels. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to find out.
0: Were you into, like, the... Uh, um All the guys, you know, whether it was Michael Shreve or Gregorico from Sly Stone or Garibaldi, like... They were all influenced by jazz. So even though you weren't necessarily listening to the classics of jazz, I mean, did you feel like even playing that 60s rock music that you maybe developed a feeling for um, playing through time?
1: Well, after I had met, well, Leroy and then Joe. Joe Lovano, a, a, a mutual friend, a guy I was going to high school with who knew Joe, Introduced us and Joe came over my place and I said, "Well, here's what I'm listening to." And I remember the record I played for him. This band called The Flock. You remember The Flock, Jerry? I, I, Goodman.
0: Dude, I've interviewed Goodman. Yeah, I love that band. And yeah, so and, and uh, this guy, uh, TJ Webb. That what a badass group. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, so, I, so I'm, listen, I'm just sharing what I was listening to, and then I went over to his house and go down the basement. And, his dad was Big T. Levano, who was a full-time jazz saxophone player. And he was he a
0: bebop was, monster, I think. Right?
1: Well, he was a working guy. You know, he played he played gigs and. Uh,
0: but he could play really well.
1: He could totally play yeah. great. So I go over there and I meet Big T. And uh, that's awesome. All, that is awesome. All the record, all the records are like you know. Sunny dad, <laughs> you know, and I'm hearing that stuff, and I'm going, wow, and somehow, his dad, Tony, Big T, he liked my playing, and I started playing gigs with him, so I learned a lot about traditional playing, we played some gigs with, with Joe and Big T, and we still reflect on those gigs, as they were so much fun, you know, I mean, we just had Wonderful time playing, you know. There will never be another you and the, the, the jazz repertoire. So, I don't know. Somehow, I went from. I know what it was. I heard Bill Evans at the Village Vanguard. That oh. record.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. And Paul Motion. Paul Motion.
1: No, yeah. No. Yeah. Paul Mothian and Scott LaFaro. Sure. No music has affected me more than that.
0: I you agree, know, dude. But, I agree with you, man. And I got to tell you something. At forty-five years old, I have that. On cassette tape, and every time I listen to it, A-side, B-side, the songs never sound the same way once. They're different every time, man. It's magical. And I'm being being uh, serious, man. I am not someone who's that well-versed in whatever. I know what I know. But that is something that has affected me on a profound level. And to hear you say that, that that basically changed your musical point of view, that's very inspiring because it happened in the real time. Well, no, that was sixty-one. I'm sorry, that was earlier, but still,
1: yeah. So, yeah, I started. I heard that record, and I learned a lot of listening to Paul. And he's he allows space in the music. He, took, he allows like you're taking a breath out of horn. Exactly. I'm going wow, as a, as a young player, I'm going, you can do that. And then actually, you could hear it. You know this because you listen to that music. You hear the whole trio take a breath, <laughs> a collective breath, and it's you know, it's not, that's what it's
0: it is, not, man. You just nailed it. I'm not a musician, so I couldn't articulate it. It's that space, collective breathing. Right. Then it was not, so organic. Not, it was acoustic too. There was no electric instrumentation. So,
1: right. It's Unbelievable. Not, it's not the piano with a bass drums to right. It was a equal. It was fingers on a hand, you know? Totally. And just, uh, so I still love, just like you. If, if that comes on, I listen to, like, Pandora, one of those Yeah, yeah, comes yeah. On, it's like, wow,
0: hey, I'm in church. <laughs> church is on the yeah. bandstand, right? <laughs> no, because I, I want to tell you something, Carmen. When I My first question was going to be, did you gig with Joe's father? And so let's just break that down, man, because that dude was from, the generation of Sonny Train Gene Ammons he was playing he was playing with with accordion players he could play freaking bird like i mean i think he, he, the guy was he never like he was a, the legend of cleveland so please especially for the audience just talk about how your ears grew on the bandstand with that cat yeah well you know i didn't play a lot of
1: gigs with big t and most of the gigs we were playing, we weren't playing concerts, man. We were playing gigs.
0: Like bar mitzvahs and dances and stuff?
1: Whatever it was. A lot of those were, like, in, in clubs, small clubs. People were drinking and talking. And exactly,
0: dance. dude. People were having a good time.
1: You know, yeah. And, and Tony had a, had a family. He had, the, you know, four kids. And so he needed, he was cutting hair during the day. So he was doing his his music uh, because he loved it and yeah. he had to do it, but it was also making a living. He was working a lot. He worked steady. And I think Joe picked up that that way of keeping, you need to keep working. If you want to do this, man, you need to be out there playing. So Joe was good at, at running gigs too. Now he's on, Joe is on another level, uh, you know,
0: well, but you know what? In some ways, you just made a very profound statement sociologically, in the sense that, yeah, Joe's dad, Joe, uh, I mean, uh, Joe Senior, uh, Tony. Tony, Big, Big T. T, Big T. I'm sorry, Big T, Big T was a was a shot was a monster player, hard worked, still had a day job, and there his son is elevated to be able to become a professional musician, playing the music that he really wants to play. That's somewhat, you know, his dad is definitely looking down and very proud. But, you know, like, so I want—I just try to nail this down. Like, how quickly did you assimilate to the American Songbook once you, uh, well, actually, before we go there, 17 years old, They, can you talk about that trip to New York and that experience? That would be a mind-blowing experience for any 17-year-old. Well,
1: no. What trip to New York? Are you talking about that record we did?
0: I, I assume Mainstream was based in New York, right?
1: Yeah, but guess what? You know where we did that record? Oh
0: my God, this
1: cr- is so great. The first, time I, first time I was on a plane <laughs> and sitting next to me is Bill When We spoke briefly that first time. Sure. I told you that whole thing came about because Bill Diorango. No, can
0: you talk a little bit, give a little color of that background? Because that record, it, it is on my, I'm going to stream, I've been, it's... I, I'm almost too, in, I'm, I'm in fear of that record.
1: <laughs> well, there's a dude on there, Dear Mr. Fear. So. Oh my God.
0: so, how did that come about exactly? Explain, Floor's yours.
1: Yes, okay. Well, we had that trio. It was called Henry Tree. It was just a name that, when I was in high school, I was in a study hall, and on, on the floor, there was a, a horse racing program. And <laughs> one of the horses was named Henry Tree. And I told those guys, I said, hey, man. Yeah, let's be retreat. <laughs> so we were, and we had this band. And we, same thing, man. We're out, we're not doing concerts. We're playing gigs, man. We're out there playing bars, and people are getting drunk. And
0: I got to be honest, I consider that a concert. <laughs> go ahead, man. The other yeah. stuff, yeah. Go yeah. ahead, go ahead. Yeah,
1: that's that's been my life.
0: Right. I mean, if you right. look I, at, the beer joints. I love it.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at like I have a resume, which. I keep thinking, oh, I should change it. But it's it's a real thing, kind of to jump ahead. I was in Las Vegas, and, you know, I did gigs there. I played with Keely Smith. I played the Don Rickles' show. I mean, that's on my resume. So
0: oh, I, I saw got, it, yeah. It's freaking out. Yeah, hit, we man. have
1: on there, like, you know, some great jazz players, and then we have, like, Don Rickles, and I'm going, yeah, I should change that. But wait a minute, man, you know? Oh, my God. I played gigs. I played gigs with all kinds of people. Different levels of playing, and uh you know, uh, I just needed to keep the lights on.
0: Absolutely. So going back to you guys were playing bar gigs. Like okay. you were playing cream kind of music stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, we were. Yeah. We were covering. We we were doing like tunes that that band Chicago. We were doing. Oh, all this that is sick. Flock.
0: Music. Yeah, Flock.
1: Look, here. We were doing songs that we liked. You know?
0: Oh my God, I would have lost my mind at these. The top 40 rock at that time was just insane.
1: Yeah, that Manfred Band had that Earth Band. Yep. We were doing some of that mm, stuff. Mm. Now, Bill D. he knew us because we went into his store. And he had a music store. After he left New York, he played with Bert. And he won Esquire New Jazz Player of the Year and all this kind of great stuff. He moved back to Cleveland and he had a music store. And we went in there because the guitar player and the bass player, they needed big martial amps, you know. That was the time for those big amplifiers.
0: Absolutely.
1: And there's Bill, and Bill was real humble and sweet. And he's going, oh, yeah. I used to, I I play a little bit, you know, and we're like, you know, we're too hip for the room. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, right, man. I bet this, he can't even plug his guitar in. So I said, "We're, we're playing, we're playing right down the street at this club tonight. Why don't you come and sit in? We're thinking, he'll never come. We're playing, door opens. There's Bill
0: <laughs>
1: with a flying V strapped on. Oh, my God. He walks up to the stage, plugs in, and he just starts playing, like, these sheets of sound. And we're like, you know.
0: Dude,
1: the that's like to C.G. Munoz, people. man, my goop, my, my, my teacher.
0: Sheets of sound. I can't believe you just used that term, man. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's I mean, that, though, because that's, like, the highest frequency sonic, that's, that's sonic spiritualism right there.
1: Yeah, so he was playing and we're, you know, that didn't instantly turn us into something that we weren't. We kept <laughs> playing our thing, but sure. Joe, Bill liked that. He liked that, playing over those rock forms and those rock rhythms. So we ended up playing all the time. We would go to his music store, he'd close it, and we'd go down in the basement <laughs> and we just play
0: so, and he, <laughs> he just closed during business hours you guys would jam out no
1: so, i think usually it would be after you
0: know so he was a seasoned player um but not somebody like he kind of identified you guys as like the young hungry cats you know you weren't like the sophisticated snobbish cats but you knew what you wanted to do and he's like yeah i'm gonna sit in with you guys
1: you know, we didn't even really talk about it. We just did what we did, and he did what he did, sure. and we just we were just smiling at each other. But all I
0: mean, the time. but I mean, like you, you were pretty surprised he actually even showed up. Yeah, at
1: yeah. first, but then that was the end of that. That was I exactly. Mean, that was the, exactly. That was after after note one. You know, and it was like, oh, okay, all right, so we didn't get this guy right at all, you know. I mean, this guy was became, and he did that for a lot of young players here in Cleveland. He became sort of a, a mentor and an inspiration because he was like to talk about music. And, I mean, I can go on and on with Bill. I was living in L.A. He came out, he, he was living with me for about a year or two. And uh, I got a bunch of stuff. But we still, I'm on the plane for the first time and Bill DeRango sitting next to me, and how did that happen? Because he was good friends with Bob Shad from New York from Jazz Times, and I guess Bob needed to sign some band, some kind of contractual thing, so he needed some bands. And so Bill said, "Okay, here's one band," and there was another, two or three, maybe maybe just one other band sure. in about December's Children, good band too, and so interesting. We go to record, and guess where we go? We get on the plane, we fly down to... Uh, it was Miami. Criteria Studios. You know yeah, where that is? You yeah, know that studio? I have
0: it hard. I love it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. On the
1: bulletin board, we were doing our record. And Bill and Bob, kind it took off during the session, they were, like, you know, reacquainting themselves. And so it, it wasn't, like, perfect because... Like, Bill's solos were overdubs, and really the magic was when we played all at the same time. In the mix, there's some kind of some strange mixing going on, but it was, it wasn't, and, and that's that.
0: I gotta be honest, that's like my, that's my wheel. I was just listening to a, another Bob Shad production, a, a, a Blue Mitchell tune. It was a compilation that was... It is the, Herlin Riley's on it, Ray, Raymond Pounds is on it, and they splice the tape halfway through. Freddie Robinson's on it, it doesn't matter. Uh, it is the most burning track. So I regret that day being uh, being cheap and not picking that up. I just feel like, simply put, that was early criterion. Why did you guys kind of advocate to hit live together, or was it like, saturation within the recording that you couldn't hit live together? Why did he have to do overdubs?
1: That's a good question. Why did why did Bill Bill was the was maybe there was a like I think I remember I, I put a tambourine part. I mean it was it was minimal. We just we basically just played our tunes. I brought my trump drums from Cleveland and we just set up and we just Played our tunes like we were playing a gig, pretty much, you know, and maybe, maybe I don't even remember who was doing like the, the engineering or the mixing or any of that. I was like a young kid. I was walking around the studio. By the way, I looked on the billboard and I saw who was coming in next. And I'm going, what a silly name! This group called jerick and the Dominos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, wow, what, that's a what
0: Jim a Gordon name? coming in. You no, know, it was really that's so. Oh, I want to go back for you. I, I'm going to have to stretch you out here. Okay, excuse he, the the Cavett... I can't remember his last name, but the uh, the guitar player in your band,
1: Markish, a Markish.
0: Um, no, he, he was the cat that owned the. Who's the cat that that knew Shad? Who's the cat that they go oh, back?
1: Bill, oh, Bill Tirangle, man, you got to Google Bill Tirangle,
0: man. No, no, I want. To, what I'm asking you is, you talk about the jazz days. You're telling me D'Arango was playing with Bird and those cats?
1: He played a lot with Ben Webster. He did play Holy with cow. There's, there's Holy recordings. cow. Yeah, there's recordings. I mean... Dude,
0: know, I am not hip to this every, cat. This is mind-blowing.
1: Everybody knew Bill. Miles Davis knew Bill. Bill was like a young, burning guitar player on the scene. And he was playing... He always did, even up to his last days. He never played... Uh, guitar like he played more linear and that's just how he was hearing his instrument wow. he, he listened to horn players that's what that's totally he dude guitar. yeah so well, you'll hear it you'll hear it on on our record but i would i w- highly recommend you just check him out
0: i'm so you'll glad you hit me it, to him man you'll that's hear him in here.
1: a traditional rhythm section playing on standard tunes and you'll hear how he how he played on those things.
0: Um, Cleveland was a hotbed of activity, especially like B3, Eddie Bacchus, you know, you had yeah, Don I, Patterson rolling through there with Billy James. I mean, did you do some organ trio work after you started to get hip to the jazz scene with the Levano's?
1: Not really, no. I mostly played that rock band. Yeah. Found out about Berklee, School of Music, went up there, uh... Came back after, not even, I did a prep course, and then I did one semester. Met a lot of great players, and we played a lot. I learned at least as much from the players I met, and we would get together and play. But then I, I came back to, to Cleveland, and the next thing I knew, on to, to another chapter.
0: No, I, wanna, I, I just want to, I don't want to gloss this over. Were you, were you in the, like the... Mike knock uh Herb Pomeroy big band kind of scene. Were you in like the the no. the scope the scope Sco, like the, Tony DeGradi and those cats?
1: No. I mean I, I knew Schofield, but we never really played. We played one time in a in Because Gary
0: Burton was up there teaching and so was Swallow.
1: Right, yeah. No, to, I, I want you to just talk back. about
0: that like was... how did they because I know, Carmen, that at that point, like I would love you to talk about, maybe not, games may not be the right word, but I know that Alan Dawson and Harvey Mason, like, when I interviewed Harvey, he was like, Alan came to me, he's like, I really can't teach you anything, so let's just play off of each other. And they'd play games, vibes and dramas, back and forth. Can you talk about the lessons you got with with Alan Dawson?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I only did one summer with Alan. That's enough. yeah, my main teacher up there was Joe
0: Hunt. Hey, dear friend, uh, you could talk about I mean, Hunt is is a freaking shaman, but I was just like to me, you can take any of those cats. But but ultimately, what was the most salient thing that you learned from them that you were able to take into the into the musical world?
1: From Joe, I think in hindsight, I learned how to touch the instrument just because I noticed the way he played. And I thought, that's beautiful, the way he touches those cymbals and drums. And I didn't think anything else like, let me try to do that. But somehow, I think it became part of how I play. I don't think I was ever, in those days, a very good student. What does that mean? Joe was a a good teacher. Right. The the first lesson with Joe was, okay, he had his this drum set set up and nice cymbals and he said okay I want you to sit down and play me a free piece and have a beginning and a middle and an end and when it's over I want to know it's over and for me that was the easiest thing to do so I did it and Joe being a great teacher we never did that again <laughs> we started We started working on things I needed work on like measured rolls we worked out of this Albright snare drum book Wow. So he was a good teacher. He didn't go, okay. Well, well, that's let's do some more of that. That was fun. No, he knew. Okay, he doesn't need help there. Let him let him explore on his own because that's really the best way. You can't, you know. That's, that's Wayne Shorter.
0: Uh, how do you teach the unknown or rehearse the unknown? Right. Exactly. Exactly. You
1: just, you just jump out there and see where you end up. But so Joe was was great with with helping me with things I needed help with. Then I, that Alan was there. I I felt like I should take some lessons with him. So I was only able to get a summer with Alan. And it was beautiful. Again, I don't think, I know I wasn't his best student. He has all these very organized ways of going through certain books with certain stickings and you're singing a song and you're playing, you're singing the ABA form and you're doing the book stick control. Drummers know that book and you're playing these things. And I, I, I did what I did with that. I don't think I was great at it. That's just not the way I approach
0: music well carmen i want to read you this story because i think that you're being overly critical of yourself hindsight's 2020 20. <laughs> is from one of my interviews with joe hunt and then i just want to get your reaction to it and uh, ultimately because i think this is what you've been all about he said i was working with stan getz and i had just gotten out of the army when he hired me when i was in the army i was off the scene so i was practicing every day beating on a pad keeping my hands up When I joined Getz, I continued to play this pad. He saw me in the hotel one day practicing, and he said, stop doing that. I said, what do you mean? I'm practicing, Stan. He said, don't do it anymore. It freaked me out, so I went to talk to Gary Burton. I said, Gary, Stan said I can't practice anymore. Gary said, I know what he means. We're playing every night, and your playing is getting pretty boring. You get this solo feature each night, and you're playing the same stuff. Stan's probably right. You should probably think more about what you're doing instead of beating on a pad. If you're practicing for the sake of practicing, I think that's overrated. I was banging out paradiddles, and Stan threw me a life raft. I sat in a chair and thought about how I wanted to play that night. We play the same stuff every night, so I began to hear it in my head, and when I went to the gig, I let myself go, and when it came to my solo spot, I wasn't even there. It was like smoking weed without the pot. <laughs> now listen, you say yeah. Yeah, you're measuring up based on... Let me be very clear. I'm a journalist. I'm a rogue journalist. I find the academy for music to be the in the academy is grating. G-R-A-T-I-N-G. It's grading because of the grading, G-R-A-D-I-N-G. And you're comparing yourself to other students based off some kind of system of grading. When in fact, to me in music, once you get the rudiments, the only thing that matters is that you don't use in-ear monitors. And you just learn to trust yourself with the repertoire and be free to yourself. You were you you were doing that at Berkeley, weren't you? You may not have been the best student, but that whole thing about like being the best, the comparison—that was that's what made jazz so cool. It was like, you know, people want to slip their wrists if you said you sounded like somebody back when. Yeah. Okay.
1: So I was just talking about how I felt. I. I performed as a student who was given material to work on, and then we would continue on in that vein. I, I didn't really feel bad about it. I knew I, I, I heard music and loved music. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to Bill up there, and I'm feeling it. And like right. I, I said earlier, I met a couple beautiful players, and I love my favorite setting, probably is acoustic piano and acoustic bass. And we would play every day. And we were loving playing with each other. And I knew that, okay, this is great. This is great. I, I wasn't going, yeah, but I, I, I sure wish I was better at that lesson material. You know, now I've been teaching now for, for quite a while here back in Cleveland. And that everything happens for you all his grace so all those experiences i have zero regrets i loved hanging out with alan my best lesson with alan i was helping my friend move his high to bed couch and it opened up while we were moving it cut my finger oh. i had three, i had three stitches but i went to the lesson anyway and we spent the whole lesson just talking about tuning he was. I said how about the tuning that Tony Williams uses so he goes okay let's try to get it <laughs> he got, yeah he got the tuning and it, and it sounded great and then we started messing around some more and it never sounded that good and then we wanted to get that tuning back again and we couldn't get it again so the lesson was once the drums sound the way you like put the key down That's <laughs> step right. away from the drums right. you know right. so we had a beautiful lesson that day, and like I say, you know, I mean, I don't question my path. All is grace. No, of course
0: not. Yeah. Did you yeah. play? Did you get? Did you? Were you playing the combat zone?
1: No, but Joe was. Joe was. No, we.
0: Joe me. and I talked about it. Yeah. No. So, so yeah. explain. Just talk a little bit about the, the cats that you wound up having a ball playing with up there.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I hardly played any gigs. Maybe I played...
0: It's just so humbly and this is so beautiful to hear this. Like, it sounds like a modern-day academic experience.
1: Yeah, I was kind of invisible, you know. I wasn't playing in any of the like, the, the best bands at, at school or Pomeroy. I wasn't doing that. I was had this trio. The bass player, Mike Zavarella. Great bass player, still in Boston piano player Dave Feldstein from Dobbs Ferry, New York. I don't know where he is now. <laughs> we would get together. We Beginning of the semester, we'd take our schedules out. And go, okay, we can play here, we can play here, we can play here. in his apartment, Dave's apartment, the whole thing was taken up by his Steinway piano. Right. And Mike had this 300 jewel clock space and I came in there with a the little drum set. And we would just play because... It was something that we loved to do, and I still do. I still do.
0: I, I mean, I want to be clear. Were you – did you actually – can you just talk about a set, maybe one live experience that you had in the ball? I mean, they, they, you know, obviously you weren't playing the Jazz Workshop, but I know Herb Pomeroy had a big – fierce big band. I think Jackie Byard played in it. I don't even know, but – I mean, did, and also I'm surprised, not surprised, but um, did they, Did you play with Joe live
1: at all? I think we maybe played one wedding gig.
0: This is unbelievable. <laughs> I need to hear about this yeah. gig. <laughs> this is the greatest. <laughs> but, but First you- of all, do you have recordings of that trio that played in his apartment? I would love to hear some of that stuff.
1: Yeah, you know
0: what? <laughs> we, we, we did a live
1: radio broadcast. Oh, stuff. my God. <laughs> w- so- wait, wait, on what station? WBUR.
0: That's it. That's it.
1: Now I have the reel real to real. I mean, I had it, and the last couple of years I've moved twice. So
0: no, man, it a, sucks. This I stuff goes big, into the ether. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. I did a big purge. I gave away all my records. I gave away all my CDs, and I gave Joe Lovano all the real to real tapes because, man, we could go on and on with. With all the musical blessings I've had But wow. we had a trio here in Cleveland Joe and this bass player, Bill Plavin Where we played some I don't have words for this music Wait a
0: minute we, Wait, but where, where, Is Plavin still around?
1: No, Plavin, he, he's he gone Dude,
0: you're telling he's me back. you guys had a It was like a Joe Farrell kind of trio?
1: No, it wasn't like anybody's kind of trio <laughs> Yeah we, it was like it was bigger than us we were damn all, we would play and uh damn. the bass player bill would, would bring over his friends reel to reel recording and record during the day when we he just turn it on and hang a mic in the air and we would just play and then the, the, joe and bill would come over at night and we would listen to the tapes and man the first time we played it was like I don't know what's going on here. I couldn't get my feet, man. It was like, what? What's going on? This isn't jazz. It was like some other thing was going on. And when those guys left, I had like a splitting headache and I was disoriented. I went upstairs and it was like, oh, pet the dog, touch the table, get back on earth, you know? And then I'm going, well, what was that? So... I said I have to go back down there and listen to that. And I put on the tape, put on the headphones, I started listening to it, and it sounded like it was composed and it blew me away. no
0: so, I'm sorry dude yeah,
1: yeah.
0: that's those one guys, of the that's one of the heaviest yeah. stories I've been doing this twelve years. that's one of the heaviest stories I've ever heard
1: so I had a bunch of those tapes. And Joe had some, they got lost uh, in an airline flight somewhere, luggage got lost. But I had a bunch of them. And back to that purge, all those reel-to-reel tapes I had, I gave them all to Joe. So Joe Lovano's got whatever's left of those, we call this Cleveland Trio. And it's so beautiful. He's, I mean, also, he's yeah. also got that tape from uh, from WBUR with Mike Zavarella and Dave Feldstein. I gave him all the tape. I, I was getting rid of everything,
0: man. Oh my God, Carmen, dude, we're gonna we're gonna uns, we're gonna uns, uproot some of this stuff, which is gonna be classic. Um, so, uh, can you talk about like so Joe? You played a wedding, and then you played a radio show with Joe. But for the most part.
1: No, the radio show wasn't with Joe. That was with the trio. You
0: were the trio with the trio. But you yeah. gave him all that stuff. I did. I did.
1: Now, uh, yeah, yeah. Just, just recent, just like a year ago, I gave him, came out to where I was living. I said, man, take these tapes. You know, maybe 20 tapes, something like
0: that. When, uh, going back to when you, you guys were, like, how did you actually meet?
1: Well, me, how did I meet Joe? Yeah, like
0: because, like, I mean, you... At that point, that was the intersection of of your of chapters of your life at that point.
1: Yeah, that's where I, I said, I had a high school friend who knew Joe, and he heard me play. He was delivering pop or soda, yeah. whatever part of the country you want yeah. to call it, you know. And he heard me playing. I'm in the garage playing the drums. And he came back there. His name was Ron Smith. We, we're doing some stuff too. There's some stuff that we're doing now. Ron's still playing. Wow. And he went up to he went up to Berkeley. Joe and and Ron and I went up to Berkeley together. And Ron was like a uh, a top student of Gary Burton's because Ron's a vibe player. Oh so my
0: god! You're doing stuff right now with him.
1: What's that? You're doing
0: stuff right now with with him.
1: Yeah, yeah, dude. That yeah. just
0: vibes and drums.
1: No, there's this saxophone player, Jack Novotny, N O V O T N Y, and insane. he and Ron are real tight. So they hired wow.
0: me this is so and the space
1: cool, player, <laughs> This bass player from Cleveland is a fine player, Aiden Plank, and we did a recording with him. And there's there's some vi- they did videos of the recording too, and. Uh, and We have another one scheduled. So, but anyway, Ron came over and he's delivering this pop. He hears me play and we start talking and he goes, Well, I I know this guy that you have to meet. And that was it. He brought Joe over and then we connected and it's still going.
0: (laughs) And, well, no, that's what I'm saying. It's a beautiful, you know, I would be remiss. I want to spend this, this, um, Bandstand Sunday with Carmen Castaldi. I want to. Uh, I'll send you the interview, but um, I, you know, I mean, I was was I was not even a thought. In the, I mean, in the late '50s, there was no better West Coast piano player than Frank Strazeri. He continued that through. Made some ridiculous funk albums with you know, and and it warmed my heart to see that you collaborated with him. And I just kind of wanted you to talk a little bit about he was one of the most creative in the moment cats ever. Yeah. You know, and like he, like, and, and I did, you know, and I, we had a great, I remember at the end of our interview, which I've never listened back to because um, it was just so good. He said, he goes, you asked all the right questions.
1: And, oh, you know, I mean, yeah. you know,
0: so, uh, please." The, I just want you to talk about Straz, man.
1: That's the highest compliment for you, man. It's beautiful. Yeah. Man. yeah, insightful. Well, listen. Here's how I got out to to, to, to to L.A. and to play with those guys. There's a huge gap here in my musical life. I'm back in Cleveland, and I hear I hear this piano player, Billy T. Billy Trager, his name was, huh. called him Billy T. and he was playing at this club. Bill Clavin, the bass player from our trio. <laughs>
0: Plavin, the yeah. Cleveland
1: Trio. And, and the singer was, she was going by the name Kelly Stevens. Her real name is Karen Nelson. And her husband was playing bass, Gaitan Caviola. Then he was replaced by another great Cleveland drummer, Ron Browning, who's no longer with us. Mm. And I said to the person I was with, I said, man, talking about Billy T, someday I'm going to play with that guy. Because he was great, and he and the singer moved out to Las Vegas, got a call, played with Billy, and that was it. We're going, so I moved out there, and we had this band. We had we did a record too, so you can hear.
0: What's the record got, called?
1: The record is called "A Jazz Visit to the World of Disney.
0: Uh, Disney." Dude, this is so psychedelic.
1: And we did it in Finland. Oh my God! So here is. It was a
0: yeah. Break it down.
1: You'd have to hear this band live to really get it. Of but course, got, yeah, any we
0: band, playing, man. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we were playing in, in Vegas again. We were a working band. We were playing pop music, but we were also playing the jazz repertoire. Sure. We would we would start with with Billy T on piano, Bill Plavin on bass. We would play trio, so we would play waltz for Debbie, or we would play some some Chick Corea music because Billy T and Chick. chick actually wrote a little liner note on the back of that record and so we had a great band in hindsight it was i didn't even realize how great it was you know i I look back and go hey man because you know when you're young you're here but you want to be there you know you
0: think absolutely i did
1: yeah you think it's hipper over there but you're missing where you are, happening, <laughs> that's, right, where you are. that's
0: right man that's right that's exactly right
1: where you are it's
0: where you're
1: at now hmm. oh we had this this band somehow hmm. we got this gig they got this gig in finland and we went over to this club to play and there was a record producer who, had, who was just building his studio it wasn't even finished but he heard us we did a, a disney medley <laughs> and he said, he said, "Would you like to come into the studio and take that medley apart and make it individual tunes?" And Billy T, being the musical genius he was, he did it like in a minute. You know, we're in the studio and we were a band, so we just played that. We just played that record like in probably one day. I don't know, and there was no going over anything. And there was a couple, a, a very excellent saxophone player from Finland called Juhani Altonen oh. he played on it and great player C- kind of like a Peter Bratzman, if you know who that is the mm. German mm. free player he just passed but great fiery you know man when I talk about these guys it's because I love music I love Joni Mitchell I also love Cecil Taylor yep. And everything in between You know, it's music
0: Absolutely
1: Of the human race, man It's expressions of who we are Who we think we are Who we think we might be uh, In the moment And
0: You're nailing it, dude I'm,
1: Yeah, I'm still
0: I'm I mean, that, still, that goes for an, a broad A journalist, a fan, or music, Like, that's If you really dig It's all music That's what Duke Ellington said, you know
1: yeah, well, when I was a kid, we had a. My father built a store in front of our house, and there was a jukebox, and I'm on the porch in the house playing along with oh, records. Jesus. And the guy, the guy who would come and change the records would hear me play, so huh. I, at every month or so, he'd take off the old forty fives and give them to me. So I didn't go through them, going let's let's see what style do I like. No, man, I put the whole stack on the spindle, played them all. Flipped them over, played all the B sides. It was all music. <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: That is freaking classic. And you know what? You're a pro, so that means quite a few other people did the same exact. I mean, you know, different situations, but they were playing the B sides of 45s. I mean, do you? Can you just go going back to Straz? Would you guys? The thing I love about live live music is that. As a tribal force, you know, for me, like, music is tribal, so I get an opportunity to push Cats out of their comfort zone, out of their thinking mind, and when they get in the spirit mind, all bets are off. And so, like, to me, it's more like, I don't want to hear the record, per se. So with Straz, we're like, I just know that, like, would you got, would, would, would you guys just go out at gigs, or were they, like, you kind of had to, like, keep it, Somewhat, like, music is made for pacification now, Carmen. Back then, it was, like, truly uh, an experience of, like, enlightenment. Talking, like, late 60s, early 70s. So I just wonder about, like, you and Straz being able to uh, never play the same song the same way once on a gig.
1: (laughs) Once, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Right, that's good. Yeah, I didn't play that many gigs with him. He called me. How did he call me? I think maybe I, I... got was this bass player, Darek Oleskiewicz. Mm. Oleskiewicz. I don't know that cat. No, I don't Dark know that. Yeah. And we love to play. Again, I always we find each other. You find those those players, we find each other. Right. So Darek and okay. I, and this piano player, I think his name was Richard Martin, and he kind of just disappeared. I don't know where he is. But we would get together and play, and Darek was more uh, on the scene. He knew more cats. So. I think it might have been dark. you got. Me. I know Dave Carpenter played with hmm. me and Frank Spizzirri, and uh, uh, who's the saxophone player?
0: Bill Perkins.
1: Bill, Bill Perkins, yeah. Dude, Bill,
0: I, Bill I need Perkins. to know how that came together. Those two guys were like. I was a latent music fan. I didn't really get into collecting vinyl and getting bigger ears to like the late nineties, and you know, and so like Perkins and Straz were like heroes of mine when I first got into this stuff, and I just. I know maybe it was one-off thing. It wasn't, like, deep. But, I mean, what was the what was the essence of the old guard musicians? Those guys were like, I don't give a shit about riffology. I don't care about chops or technique. I'll stare at the wall the whole night. How does it feel? Does it feel good? It was all about so feel. Great. And, like, those so guys. You know, and so, like, can you just talk about those guys? Because there are not many of them left anymore, you know?
1: Yeah, Bill was a super gentleman really a sweet kind man frank was more of the uh how you would think of like a a, a cat has been playing jazz his whole life he had the ashtray on the piano oh my the god thing. i love it dude. You know, this is uh, so and, sick <laughs> yeah i it was, it was i was very,
0: oh man it's exactly how i envisioned it man
1: yeah, so we would, you know, we would just play. There wasn't a lot of words going sure, on. Sure, I dig, I dig, I
0: dig, I dig.
1: We were playing. I think it might have even been a sports bar. There might have been a game on the TV while we we're playing, but, you know, we're not, That's we're used to that. We're used to being ignored. But we're there, and we're there with each other, and we're there for that music. So, hey, man, we're going to play. We're going to play. <laughs> Whatever happens, happens. And I, I have nothing but fond memories of playing with those guys,
0: Carmen. Um, I mean, the truth of the matter is this: I mean, you're giving your heart and soul, and, and you're trying to pass on the lineage of the music. But I, I in all, as honestly as you can, um, you know, you talk. You have students today, but I mean, by the time you got to to um, Berkeley you had already played a lot of live music, whether it was good music or sound or noise, but you had collaborated already and really sort of become comfortable being vulnerable. How do you get cats in a one-on-one setting to get, to be themselves? I mean, that to me, that's the biggest issue in modern uh, melodic improvisation is that I just hear a homogenization of sound. I don't hear different people. Whereas... When I interviewed Bill Cosby, you know, you put a blindfold on him, uh, you know, he could tell who Mickey Roker was, Pete LaRocca was, Max Roach, uh, you know, everyone had their own individual sound, and that's what, to me, that's Mm -hmm. the essence of jazz. So how do you try to instill that, being that you don't have, um, I don't know, I just feel like you were educated differently than them? I was what? I, your your education was on the bandstand in a lot of ways. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I remember we played a gig at Bard College and one of the students was talking about trying to find his own voice. <laughs> and I said, listen to, listen to what you're saying. It's your own voice. You already have it, you know? So, go ahead, copy everybody you want. Right. But It'll come, your voice is gonna come through. You don't have to chase after it, man. You can't help but speak in your own voice. And I, I kind of get what you're saying. So these, in, in Cleveland here, there's some, some nice players that I like to play with. And I'm, I, I'm a composer. I've written tons of tunes and I'm constantly writing. And if you wanna hear something with a couple, you know, younger than me players. We just played a gig. All you have to do is go on uh, Facebook. There's a club here in Cleveland. It's called the Bop Stop mm. at the Music Settlement. Yeah. And they have live live broadcasts. When the local players play, they almost always do a live broadcast. So just uh, a week ago, was it last Sunday? I think it might have been. I played with these two... Players, Anthony Fuloco, F-U-O-C-O, Garrett Folger, mm. F-O-L-G-E-R, mm. and myself. And the group was Fuloco, Folger, Castaldi Trio. And we played all original music, and we did not rehearse, and I didn't even really... He gave me the music, but I didn't even look at it. I just wanted to uh, take a walk in the, in, 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 in the musical...
0: World of sounds. I really love it,
1: and yeah that's the way I, that's the way I play with with Joe Lovano and Mari Crispell. I know the music that we're playing. he gives me the music I look at it, I'll sit at the piano and play through it. I love to do that, but then when it's time to play it's time to play it's, you you leave the headspace and you and you trust and you surrender, you could even say you you know I'll say crazy things and Kenny Werner talks about in this way too Kenny Warner if you, I think you might know who he is but no
0: i I still a cat I really need to talk to I, I, I've been looking for him for a long time
1: well Kenny's written two excellent books first one is Effortless Mastery yeah and he has an old Effortless Mastery Institute at Berkeley and his his last book is called Becoming the Instrument and wow. he he says things that I like to say too I'll say them in my words like I'll say to players Especially younger players, you know, i kind of radical. I say, "Hey, man, don't try to
0: sound good." Dude, <laughs> okay? so that's the that's that's what Miles said to McLaughlin. John McLaughlin told me that the day after he got off the plane, Tony Williams picked him up, he brought him to the studio uh, in a silent way, and Miles said, "You know, play the guitar like you don't know how to play the guitar." You know, right. and it, was like a, it was like it was a Zen mastery thing, but it worked.
1: Well, that's a, beginner, that's a beginner's mind. Because if you come right. with an agenda, that's all past. That's all past. Right. And this music... Right. I like to say this. This is my line. I love yeah. to say about music that we play like that. There's no future in this music. Hmm. You dig? Yeah, no I dig. I dig. That's a very that's profound shit, ball. yeah. Right. So...
0: Flesh that out, though, for the people that are going to listen to this.
1: Well... You can't have any investment in the outcome. That would be future. Yeah. I hope this happens or I hope that happens. Wow. Or I hope he or she likes this or I hope this leads to something. No. It's it's now or never. Wow. It's happening now. That's, That's
0: right, happening. dude. There is no tomorrow, man.
1: Yeah, it's it's just this. When tomorrow comes, it's yeah, so I, just
0: I, this. I, that is yeah. such a loss philosophy in this insanely warped speed time that we live in, you know? It's yeah,
1: there's people, though, who are, who are, who are hearing that, you know? It's, it, maybe it's not for everyone. We're kind of a... People are... People don't really want to listen so much, you know? Dude, Carmen, you're you know, ne- The, ego, the yeah. ego mind always says, next, what's next, what's next? This, this is not...
0: This is not what's next. There's no way. Yeah,
1: There is no next.
0: This is profound, like, deep wells of enlightenment through wisdom and rhythm. I just, you know, to me, what I realized only recently, actually, is that uh, it has nothing to do... There are some exceptionally great players, even though I just um, asked you about the academy. There's amazing... The problem is there's just the significance of live music has changed in our culture. And that, to me, is the most haunting thing because um, people would... Art Blakey said, it's my job to wash away the dust of everyday life for those cats. It used to... Jazz was a blue-collar music, you know? And, and, you know, people could tap their foot to it. Uh, Obviously, you know, at the end of the day, it's me... I remember David Spinoza said to me, he goes, since when... He goes. I overheard somebody saying, "Yeah, this is good music to talk over." He's like, "Since when is music made to be talked over?"
1: Yeah, well, you know. So, so
0: that's that. People. That's the. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the, the. The cats are game as ever before, but you can see with this slouch towards fascism, autocracy, you're seeing limitation of the ability to in, ignite the human spirit or consider. That a musician is a viable profession. Then again, I go back to Big T, Lovano, and the guy's working a day gig, and he's one of the baddest cats around. So, I guess everything goes in cycles, right? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Well,
1: let, me, let me let me say this. Yeah. I'm, I'm very... Uh, it's beyond hopeful. We just played Wow. A Week at the Vanguard, the Trio Tapestry, with, with Joel and Marilyn Chris Bell. And we had sold out Every first set was sold out And the second sets were Very good attendance also And we're not playing I don't know if you've listened to any of that music But we're not playing really toe-tapping Pop, hooky kind of music We're playing Completely from the heart And everyone gets it, man They totally They get it And they're not different than, than we are. I feel a, a unity with the audience when they come up, and it's like, uh, oh, man, I almost cried. I say, yeah, I almost did too, man. You know, it's it's this music. It's, it's, if you come from that real, true space mm-hmm. within and just mm-hmm. play from there, you might not know if you're doing it or not, but <laughs> just be willing. Just have a little willingness to come from there. Yeah, be
0: vulnerable. Yeah. Access that first chakra, you know?
1: Yeah, and, and everyone, there is one. There is only one. And it's that, that, that one mind that plays and hears and takes it out into their their spheres of relationships. And that's... People were talking about feeling uh, healed by this music. Yeah, man. Thank you. What's higher than that? That's why we're here. We're here to love and heal each other and to realize that there really is no other, that what I do to you, I do to myself, and there's just one of us, and so that's it, you know? I mean, they make fun of, like peace and love
0: and all that not me that's, that's no i mean that's, hey that's man i mean you know i mean when i go to see and i'm not it doesn't matter what it is it could be the late great pat martino or david grisman or my the bands of my peers right now i'm i always make it a point to tell them um that i mean i was in psychotherapy for many years of my life and you know the, the best psychotherapy is communal, spiritual, vibrational healing if it's being done the right way. And so that's all it is at this point. It was only a few hundred years ago that musicians were considered doctors. So, I mean, you know, listen, it's, it's you know, all I can say is that you plant your seed and you do what you do to inspire change in your world. And, you know, that to me is the only thing you can do and the ripple effect is profound, and you probably happens when you least expect it. But as a musician, having the ability to to dance is the key. My final question for you, brother, in set one. Did you ever hang with Billy Higgins or get a chance to get to know him at all?
1: No, I never never met Billy. I just love his playing and his bright, shining vibe when I see him. And
0: videos talk a little bit about your philosophy as it relates to um, keeping time on different parts of the kit Billy Higgins was always keeping t- Eddie Marshall a lot of these guys they were keeping time they weren't keeping time on the bass drum it was all over the place it was all done in that what you talked about before motion Bafaro, and Bill they were all playing in unison and like can you just talk a little bit about dancing on the kit? And, you know, letting the body dance, so to speak. Yeah, well. What can I say, man? I mean, listen, I mean, to play to play with in that trio you're talking about. Yeah. It's not stiff. People aren't getting healed by stiff music. So you got to let the body dance, you know.
1: Listen, I'm playing the music. I'm playing the harmony. I'm playing the melody. Right, right, I'm playing, right, I'm right. Space. I'm, I'm playing, I'm breathing. I'm playing the spaces when I don't know what to play. I don't play anything when I, I don't push anyone. Uh, I have played so many gigs where there's, a, it's the craft part of playing gigs yeah. where there's a certain role. You need to play a function. You need to, to, to do all the drums to keep this music sounding right. People want to dance certain I know about doing that yeah. I like doing that you know it's back to the 45 man I like playing pop music I still do I like pop music man mm. but I like music that's also uh, moving in it's own own way uh, it can go it can move forward it can hover uh, you know when I play with, with Joe and Marilyn that's that's kind of how we play. We don't count the tunes off, you know. We never do. I,
0: no setlist. Right? No setlist. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and we play. Of course, I like. Like I like what you said. You never play the same song the same way once. Yeah. Same that was a, that
0: was a line by Phil Lesh from the Grateful Dead. By the way, that, that's not mine. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: That's yeah. yeah. That's a, that's that's. You know. It's I mean, very hip. Yeah. You can't. You can't step in the same river twice. Right. You can't even make the same soup twice, right? It's a different carrot, exactly. man. Exactly. So uh, when we play, we have these, I like to think of them almost as topics of conversation. <laughs> so, you know? Yeah, so I we, we play, and, ev- and everyone has, Joe has a strong personality. Marilyn has a strong personality. And I dance with each of them and both of them, and neither of them, and it just let the music, that's, that's what I'm doing, I'm not really, I don't have any any plan, of how to do it, but now when I'm teaching students, everyone is unique, and all my lessons are are different, I have, I have kids, you know, nine years old, I have adults that are 60s, and that's what I like, I, I don't have like a college thing, with a, with a thing I have to follow and, uh,
0: so that, exactly. Dude. You're not part of, no, dude, you're not part of a codify. You can't codify music.
1: Right. right. So it's wide open. Yeah. So you and got, I you improv- got cats
0: improv- that are malleable. You got malleable cats, you know?
1: Yeah. I improvise. I love improvising with kids. They have zero licks. They don't even know what a lick is. And we,
0: just, <laughs> and we just
1: play, you know, and it's, it's as good as anything. Cause I tell them, I say, Hey man, don't worry. You can't do anything wrong. And, you can't do anything right. Let's play. You know, I talk about this analogy, like when we were kids and we would finger paint. It was just the act of putting the paint on your hand and putting it on a piece of paper. It wasn't like you were looking to make something to keep forever. and Some fantastic, look at my amazing... You could just throw that away. Let's do another one, you know?
0: I will Let's just practice. say this. I mean, just having two daughters one who's a teenager we're just living in a pressure cooker now that is unquantifiable and uh so it's important to most important for you and i know you do this teach the cats to breathe collectively play with dynamics and um get away from the visual learning too i mean you guys were autodidacts in a lot of ways Brother Casali, I got I and mean, we got to do part two, man. I had a ball. We just cooked for about sixty-two minutes here.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it too, Jake.
0: It was a great hang, man, and uh, I, I, you know, I love everything that you, you know, you, you've had a complete and fulfilling career, which is more than a lot of people can say.
1: Well, thank you. I'm still doing it, man.
0: Absolutely, man. Let's be in touch.
1: Okay, Jake. Be cool. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye bye.